0: Good morning and welcome to True Talk. This is your host Samar Jarrah. I am finally back in the US, in Florida and in the studio. We are live here at WMNF 88.5 FM. We're going to be talking about a lot of issues. Uh, Some of it has to do with immigration and some of it has to do with uh, Iran. Listen to this music. Uh, It's called Rastak Botorai, Iranian folk song from Kurdistan. This is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. 不要呀啊 Welcome back to True Talk. This is your host Samar Jarrah. My co-host uh, is on the phone. Uh, good morning, Ahmed.
1: Good morning, Samar.
0: We, we are playing to the studio. We're playing hide this, hide and seek. You, uh, you are here last week. I am here this week. You're not here this week. Hope both of us can be here next week.
1: <laughs> yes, I would love that. But we are here because we are uh, still with our listeners on the air.
0: Yes, it's wonderful, Ahmed. And there are so many things to talk about. I wanted to talk about it uh, last week. Uh, you know, I was traveling and then uh, coming back, uh, I was listening to what our governor did with the asylum seekers. And said, there's so much information. And you and I being immigrants, uh, not asylum seekers, we had, we have probably a different way of looking at it. You want to discuss that?
1: Um, sure. I mean, the whole idea of the United States is that it's a refuge for people from around the world. I mean, uh, white Europeans are not the original inhabitants. They're not the indigenous people of this land. It was the um, uh, the natives uh, that were here that, you know, unfortunately were, um, you know, we know the history of what happened to them. So this uh, country, supposedly on paper, is supposed to be a refuge for, people from from around the world that are escaping uh, the areas that they're in. And it's so surprising that um, people that are here are so much, again, the individuals that are seeking a better life in the United States, many of them that are willing to do jobs that uh, the average American doesn't want to do, and they're just trying to uh, help uplift themselves. And on top of that, the people that are coming across the board, especially the ones that president or governor... DeSantis, well, President Trump was trying to keep out, and then Governor DeSantis just shipped all the way uh, to um, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, those, are, those specific individuals are from Venezuela, and America is, is somehow is directly involved with what's happening in Venezuela. In a way, it's because, not solely because of the U.S. Uh, policy in Venezuela, but America has to do something with that, including an attempted coup Failed coup that that uh, they backed recently uh, in that country, and they recognize the opposition leader, not the original government, and the sanctions that are crippling the economy there. All that is forcing so many people to leave. Venezuela has one of the highest, if not the highest, uh, number of displaced individuals that have to flee. Most of them are not in the United States; they're in other. Latin American countries, but those that have made it to the U.S. and made it to Texas and followed the rules and registered with the Border uh, Patrol and the control and gave their names. Once they get registered and they uh, do a background check, screen them, they release them into the community. Most of them stay nearby into shelters um, and awaiting their asylum hearings or the status of their application seeking asylum. And now, uh, you know, as reports have it, that DeSantis sent some operatives there to Texas, not for Florida. These were not Florida. He sent uh, these political operatives uh, to Texas to try to find uh, these asylum seekers and then somehow tricked them, lied to them, and fooled them to get, up, to get on this flight to go all the way to Massachusetts. And promising all types of assistance, uh, only to be just dropped off and abandoned. And um, unlike uh, people that come from Mexico seeking asylum, uh, these individuals from Venezuela don't have many relatives, if not any, in the United States. They don't really have anywhere to go. It's not like they can join other family members. So it's really dishonest to do that and to prey on uh, these individuals that are seeking a better life, that are very vulnerable, only for political points, I mean, the whole reason is DeSantis is trying to position himself to run for president in 2024. So is the Texas, the governor of Texas, Abbott. And Abbott has been doing this campaign already. He's been sending migrants uh, from Mexico to Washington, D.C., and New York, where they there are some support networks there. Um, but DeSantis wants to get some of that spotlight, and then he did this trickery, political theater, just so he can get in the headlines um, by using individuals. It's really despicable, and it doesn't matter what you think, if you're Republican or Democrat, but to use individuals that are vulnerable, they're escaping so much, and have traveled thousands of miles to make it here, and follow the rules, and are in the country legally, and then a governor from a completely different state goes and basically, I mean, they went on the plane uh, voluntarily. It's not like they were kidnapped. In a way, he's trafficking individuals and lying to them and deceiving them, uh, all for political points. It's really uh, so, disgusting.
0: So why did he send them to Martha's Vineyards? I've never been there, but I think that's like a um, rich vineyard, area.
1: Yeah, Martha's Vineyard is known to be a, a summer. It's like a summer. So, you know, like in Egypt, where in Egypt they go to the Sahel, you know, the uh-huh. north coast. Uh, so in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and in the northeast, Uh, Martha's Vineyard has become this um, bastion of uh, elites. They go summer, you know, do their summer vacations there. It's really lively and busy in the summer. But uh, when the season is off and now it's off season, it's pretty much dead. It's just the people that continue to live there. So, yeah, in the summer, there's a lot of work to be done. There's maybe job opportunities. they hire a lot of service personnel. But in the winter, those uh, jobs are not there. So he's trying to send them there to where the rich people are. So the rich people, in a way, to kind of stick it to them, well, you liberal people from the North that want to help these, uh, you know, you liberal Democrats that are rich in the North, if you're really so much for pro uh, immigration, well, why don't we drop these uh, immigrants on your doorstep?
0: But thinking, the idea would be- thinking that they might uh, not like them and not give them food and shelter. I mean, what uh, I was uh, checking on uh, social media what uh, the people in Martha's Vineyard, as expected of most Americans, they were very welcoming and they didn't care about the stunt.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, they felt bad, of course, and they went and helped. It would have been better if he really cared. I mean, if these governors really care about these individuals and, I guess, um, distributing the impact that these, ref- these refugees and these immigrants and polit- uh, political uh, asylum seekers have on these border states, well, they can easily coordinate with other northern states that they can carry some of the burden as well, like by coordinating with them so they can receive them in the right way, are able to send them to the right towns, send them where there is work, send them to different areas where there are services, but these, they're doing it without any type of coordination, just in the middle of the night, just dropping them off, well, not necessarily in the middle of the night, but um, just dropping them off without any type of notice, with the idea that they want to do, you know, like a political gotcha. And then, you know, they can tell their political base, who hates immigrants, oh, look what we just did to these immigrants and how we stuck it to the uh, liberal elite, the democratic liberal elite. And that, they think, is going to get them some sort of political point. Uh, that will help them in the election to run for office. It's just so bad that this is what our country has come to, that uh, people that are supposed to be public servants that are running for office, that they do these type of political stunts. It's almost like pranks. They're so childish that they'll do anything to get in the headlines and to play up to their base so only so they can uh, win office. And it's not necessarily to, 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 to solve a problem because guess what? Uh, DeSantis is the governor of Florida he could not find he could not round up politi- you know, these uh, illegal immigrants that easy or not illegal but uh, political asylum seekers that easy in Florida and um, they um, you know so he went to Texas on <laughs> top of I also say that Venezuela is one of those countries that the United States is not allowed or cannot send people from, a, from Venezuela back to Venezuela the same thing with Cuba because the United States does not have a political or uh, diplomatic relations with Venezuela. So once they get here, there's nowhere for them to go. So these are really legitimate political uh, asylum seekers.
0: Uh, Ahmed, let me just remind our listeners that they're listening to True Talk and I am your co-host Samar Jarrah who is back after being away for two and a half months, the longest I think I stayed away and my co-host Ahmed is on the phone, he is traveling at the moment too and we're discussing… Uh, being both of us immigrants we are discussing what DeSantis did with these people and I want to go back to you Ahmed because like people might think why we are discussing uh, that but uh, this seems to be a hot topic and people are calling already so um, I'm going to just ask you one uh, more question and then get uh, uh, these uh, people Uh, you and I came to this uh, country uh, legally I through marriage and you because your parents got uh, I think uh, uh, came here for study and then uh, they stayed and uh, this is why I think I can't speak for you but we all came legally but um, you also mentioned very, very briefly how we, uh, like I was for two and a half months away from the country how the, ne- the the rest of the world but especially the Arab world looks up to America like, like there's something special and unique about the idea of immigration, could you address that from our perspective? Ahmed? Where did he go?
1: Sorry, I, sorry ah. I was on. My mic was muted. Okay. Um, look, first, you and I are uh, immigrants, and stuff. we're also, we choose to be here. Uh, we're also citizens, you know, of, uh, or at least I am, of Egypt. I can go to Egypt, I can live in Egypt, I can go live in other places. Uh, But we both choose to live here because we love this country and what it has to offer. You and I are often critical of American policy and what our country is doing overseas. Um, But we're very grateful that we live in a country where we at least have some of these services and and some of these freedoms, even though some people are trying to take them away. Um, Other people around the world don't have these freedoms, including in the Arab and the Muslim world. In fact, you and I uh, are probably more free to practice our faith here in America as Muslims than we are even sometimes are able to do, or some many Muslims are not able to practice their own Muslim faith in their own Muslim country as freely as we can. It's usually dictated by the government, and they use it for political reasons. So many people are leaving their countries, coming to the United States for that freedom that is promised, and also for economic, but mostly they're coming for better economic opportunities, or because uh, for education... Uh, for a number of reasons. Some of them, they just because uh, their countries are so destroyed, uh, especially whether they're in Iraq or Syria, some even Afghanistan. We saw the all the refugees that came from Afghanistan when the Taliban took over mm-hmm. again. But those in Somalia, but so many of these countries that are coming here, uh, these individuals, are actually coming to the United States because the, the United States was partly or fully responsible for the tragedies happening in their own land. Like in in Iraq, you know, the U.S. invaded that country, bombed them, destroyed their infrastructure. People had to leave. Same thing with Afghanistan. Same thing in, you know, Somalia. And so many, the United States policies and military intervention in those countries are causing people to be forced to leave those countries and are migrating in so many parts of the world. It's not like Egypt is the one that's going around bombing different nations and forcing and displacing individuals. Sure, in the case of Syria... Bashar al-Assad had a lot to do with it, and it Mm -hmm. became a proxy war, but the U.S. was also heavily involved uh, in Syria. But people are still continuing to risk their lives, whether whether in the Middle East to get to Europe or whether in Latin America to come to the United States, because they see these different opportunities that are available to us. And, you know, America is a land of immigrants, and it should continue being that way. Um, It's not just for one group of people, even though some of these Some, unfortunately, Republican Party or the right wing or white supremacists think that this is a white-only country and it's only for them. That's not true. And it's not going to be the case. And the demographics are constantly changing where uh, that white majority is no longer going to be a white majority. It's going to be a non-white majority very soon.
0: Yeah, and there was also another article I was reading yesterday or the day before talking about uh, the religious makeup of these immigrants and how these uh, conservative Republicans are uh, shutting uh, out uh, Catholics and Protestants that are mainly uh, coming here. But let me take uh, Mike uh, from Sarasota, Ahmed, if you have a few minutes to wait. Uh, Mike, go ahead. You're on True Talk.
2: Oh, thank you very much for taking my call. I want to respond to a comment you made, Summer. Which I think is an economy with the truth. You mentioned that the people on Martha's Vineyard welcomed these immigrants. In fact, within seventy-two hours.
0: Mike. Mike. Okay, base. Mike. Uh, I lost. You. Uh, Mike. I lost you for a few I'm... seconds. Can you repeat from the beginning, please? Mike.
2: Not a very succinct. It said. Liberals deport migrants.
0: Okay. Uh, I hope I can hear you uh, correctly. All,
2: all I could hear is once he said within
1: 72 hours and then it cut off. Uh,
0: yeah, I think he's saying. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay.
2: What happened right. after 72 hours? A- after 72 hours, the people of Martha's Vineyard deport, uh, uh, put the immigrants on a ferry, literally ferried them off the island to a military base on the mainland. Now, this military base has got guards on it. So people can't enter or leave uh, without authorization. And the New York Post put a great headline on the whole affair. Succinct three great words. Liberals deport migrants.
0: Okay, Mike. Thank you. Do you have any comment, Ahmed?
1: I I don't think that's really uh, accurate because deportation would mean that it was... uh
0: Deportation, I think... Uh,
1: Deportation means you leave the country. They're not deported. They're still in the United States. I think they put them in a different town in Massachusetts. I'm not sure if it's a military base, but a place that was better equipped to provide them services. I mean, how are you going to feed all these people? Where are they going to sleep? Uh, They had to put them in a place where you could have enough, uh, you know, provide these
2: services.
0: Okay. Let me call to uh, Jack in Dover. Good morning, Jack.
2: Hi. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Summer, um, I understand, you know, where your point, the direction that everybody's going with regards to um, immigration and stuff. But I saw on WADU last night a story about the Jewish uh, people during uh, the war against Germany and the fight against the Nazis, the concentration camps, and the people that were liberated from there and brought to America. And don't quote me on this, but I could have sworn they said that they were brought to North Carolina. Um, Maybe somebody that's Jewish might know um, if that's correct. But they showed pictures, and the uh, immigration camp looked exactly, almost exactly like the concentration camp in Germany. They had barbed wire around them. um, They were bare styled. um, And they talked about how the Jewish people were not allowed to have jobs um, so that they would compete against the Americans. And so to say that, you know, what's going on now, you know, with the generations is new. It's not it's the way America seems to have been for quite some time. And maybe now it's a time for it to change. But um you know, it's just sad to to think that, it, that you know, it could go on for as long as it has that that people can just be treated like animals.
0: Uh, Yes, Jack. Actually, uh, there is um, uh, several websites uh, that you can go to and read about uh, ships that were turned uh, away from uh, the East Coast and the West Coast. And many of uh, the Jews who were running uh, from Germany and the Nazi persecution ended up in Latin America. And this is where they flourished. And this is why we have so many uh, successful Jewish uh, Latin Americans is because they were turned uh, away from uh, the USSR. And also, Jack, one time I think I did an interview, um, can't remember his name, uh, but a Muslim scholar and he was telling me about uh, cases where people were becoming citizens according to the skin color. So, for instance, if you are from Syria... And in Syria, you can have green eyes and you can have black eyes and dark complexion or white complexion. So there was the Syrian Christian who had to go to court to prove that he is uh, not a muslim uh, and not brown and not black but he is kind of uh, darker uh, skin so (laughs) yes uh, jack there are many stories but also there are uh, very very good stories and still i believe that the u.s constitution is one of the best constitutions out there. But I feel Ahmed, every day, I feel that it is being threatened and challenged. And I guess with uh, Trump becoming president or what he... What the, what the platform he used to become uh, president, uh, I think, uh, affects negatively uh, our constitution. For instance, he was he jumped on the wagon of Islamophobia. DeSantis is jumping on the wagon of immigration. I don't know in four years what kind of wagon they're going to be jumping on, and I find it scary. And we have to have uh, our voices heard, uh, Ahmed. Does it scare you?
1: Yeah, of course it scares me, but uh, what's more scary, uh, it does scare me. Uh, uh, but part of that um, is the confusion that now, you know, you add with the social media and the technology and uh, Twitter and the news clips and how things can go viral and misinformation. Mm-hmm. Contains, people are just confused. They have no time to breathe to figure out what the heck is going on.
0: And what's and, true and what's not true.
1: And everything is just for mice and just, yeah. And then, you know, everybody's just doing things for, you know, like, like, just to get attention. Like, this whole thing that DeSantis did was to get attention from voters uh, ahead of, you know, to just mainly not with the general, but with the, uh, you know, hardcore Republicans uh, for the primaries. Because he thinks the, uh, Abbott, who is his competitor, another governor in Texas, may be getting all this uh, attention. Um, uh, migrating or doing with the, the, you know, with with the immigrants. Now, DeSantis wants to flex his immigrant muscle, but really it's backfiring because you know a lot of people in South Florida now in Miami are from Venezuela, and many of them are influential, and most of them voted for Trump, uh, or at least a big portion of them, and definitely the Cubans. And this did not go very well mm. because they see they escape persecution from what they consider like a socialist dictator. And here is somebody who uh, who's their own governor in Florida is punishing Venezuelans from Texas and shipping them off. So it, it's not going very well. And it, it looks like it's already backfiring for uh, Let- at least that Latino-based of dissenters in Florida.
0: Let me read a couple, uh, read a couple of uh, emails before you go, uh, Ahmed, because we have to move to the next uh, segment. Uh, Robert writes, the Obamas have a 12 million dollar uh, home on Martha's Vineyard that was part of the stunt. And uh, Larry in Lakeland, your caller Mike had the same flawed argument yesterday. And even though it was be explained to him over and over he could not see the truth his type cannot accept anything other than the republican untruth (laughs) okay everyone is entitled to his uh, opinion and uh, luckily ahmed we have wmnf and we have true talk to be able to discuss these issues from our point of view as both of you uh, both you and i are immigrants
2: and but what's
1: interesting is the listeners of WMNF are becoming more diverse because <laughs> I'm noticing more and more like you know,
0: I know. I yesterday know, I was listening, I was listening to an amazing show yesterday. I can't figure out, uh, but the, there was a lady and a gentleman, very very uh, very like very, very responsible what they were saying. And there was a caller who called and added to the uh, depth of the in- in- uh, conversation. <laughs> but then you had people calling and saying that these are illegal immigrants. Although it is proven a fact that they are uh, legally in this country, they are just waiting to see if their papers can be processed as uh, uh, asylees. Interesting, Ahmed. But thank you for being on True Talk.
1: uh Thank you so much.
0: Thank it's you. Th- thanks, yeah. Ahmed. I know people are calling, but I really need to uh, move to the next uh, segment. We're going to be talking about Masha or Mahasa Amini, who uh, died uh, a couple of days ago uh, in uh, very bad uh, circumstances. And I'm going to be talking to Nigar Mortazavi. Uh, she was actually on... Uh, Democracy now, but here prepare your questions because if you have questions for Nigar about what's going on in Iran, you're gonna get this chance. Listen to this uh, lovely music by a young uh, Iranian. His name is Mohsen uh, Yagina. I promise you.
3: سر اشی آ مودل اج می شوزه تاسو می کولی عاشق این بازی هر روز ناتس ادم دمره رفتن همش دل شوره میگیره هر روز بیگ زارید دل شوره ها از Субтитры احساسم از من گرفتی تو تو واقعی مونده احساسم و از من گرفتی و میخوایی من باشی و یادت بره مایی وجود داره خودت آماده ی رفته
0: and Welcome back to True Talk. Uh, this is your host, Samar Jarrah. And as uh, promised, I will be uh, talking now with uh, Nigar Mortazavi, And she is a journalist, commentator, and she's also the host of a very interesting podcast. You can check it out. It's called Iran uh, Podcast. Good morning, uh, Nigar. How are you?
4: Good morning, Samar. I'm good. How
0: are you doing? I'm very good, alhamdulillah. I am uh, following the news uh, of uh, Masha Amini. Uh, she is uh, Iranian of uh, Kurdish uh, descent, I think, and uh, she was um, uh, heavily beaten by the what you call, I think in English, the morality p- uh, police. I don't know what they call it in Iranian, but in the Arabic language, I think they call them because there is a similar or used to be a similar type of morality police in Saudi Arabia, but they stopped it. Before we talk about uh, the uh, Mahasa, what's this morality police? When did it uh, start? Has it always been part of uh, the Iranian uh, culture? Well, Samar, uh,
4: it's the part of the law, the mandatory hijab that has been imposed on women since after the revolution. And the morality police is tasked with enforcing it. But it's not really part of the Iranian culture to force this, this hijab or this religious belief on other women who don't believe it. Now we even hear religious women and men saying there was an online campaign saying that we are religious or I am hijabi, as these women are saying. But I don't I disagree with the morality police, with Ghash Ershad, and that this shouldn't be done in our name or in the name of our religion. So I'm personally not a religious person, but the state, the Iranian government, has been doing this for years, for decades, in the name of the religious community, claiming that this is what the majority of Iranians want. Time and again, government officials have said that this is part of our culture, this is part of our norm, and this is what the Iranian public demands. But Now we're seeing not only from the protests, but also from online campaigning and even from uh, officials, some former government officials, current members of parliament saying that this should stop and this kind of violent harassment against women in the public uh, is they're saying it's irrational, it doesn't work, it's illegal because it's not really mandated in the law that this uh, mandatory hijab should be enforced so violently and with lethal violence. And um, also there's religious scholars who are saying that this is just immoral and un-Islamic.
0: Yes, I, I am glad you mentioned that because in Islam uh, no compulsion in religion. So if, if people, like you said, if if the morality police is there because this is what the people want. So why do they have to police the people to enforce uh, religion uh, on them? But um, do they... Exactly, exactly.
4: Let me add to your point. That's exactly what some religious people are saying. They're saying those who want to wear it and observe the Islamic dress code will do it anyways. But those who don't want to wear it, by violently harassing them, you're actually pushing them further away. Now there's this growing sentiment of anti-religiousness among the younger generation, and people are just uh, being fed up with all of it because of this type of forcing. What this one religious scholar was saying was that by trying to force a virtue or what they consider a value, you're just turning it into the opposite of itself. And turning young people further away from what you're trying to promote.
0: I think they also belittle the idea of hijab because it's not a matter of covering my hair. I mean, I can just abide by the rules and cover my hair. But to cover your hair, it takes a lot of strength and to decide to wear the hijab, uh, I think requires a lot of other uh, religiosity and deeper meanings. You can't just ask women to cover their hair and think that you are implementing... A tenant of the faith, don't you? Don't you well, see
4: that? Yeah. Well, this is this is again. I'm, I'm obviously not a religious scholar, but this is what some religious people are saying: is that it takes many shapes and forms. And the evidence to that, this is ironic, is that we see also a lot of religious women, hijabi women. So this is women who observe the hijab even in the private of their own homes. They also get stopped and arrested by the morality police in the public because it's so subjective. It's very subjective of what that agent at that moment is deeming on Islamic and on Islamic dress or and on Islamic behavior, and then stopping and having this authority to stop and detain women and essentially treating them like criminals. So that's why we're also seeing the opposition, even from religious people who are saying, "Yes, we want to have observe our own belief, but we don't want it to be forced." on other people, in, in, and also in such a subjective way.
0: So are they like a government-paid organization? How do you become a morality uh, police agent?
4: Yes, so it's literally called the Guidance Police Geshta Ershad, uh, which is part of the bigger police force. They essentially have their men and women who are part of the big force, and they have the same authority as the police does. They are supposed to be, as the state claims, they are supposed to be guiding people, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, as they're called guidance police. But they also have the authority when when women and men refuse to be guided, and we also see a lot of resistance to them on the streets from images. When they refuse to be guided, then they have the authority to arrest them, to throw them in police vans. So they have these famous police vans, not just cars, but actual vans. That go around towns and arrest people who are refusing to be guided and then bringing them to the station to for training and further guidance uh, and then sometimes they take uh, they make them sign papers and, and uh, uh, commit that they won't repeat this offense so it's, it's really treating people um, like criminals and with that kind of police authority simply for Um, dressing the way they dress. And also, I want to uh, emphasize, we've seen images of Masa, we've seen a video of this Masa, meaning the young woman, in detention, so after she was arrested. And what a lot of these religious people are also pointing out is that she was dressed normally. She was dressed, she had a scarf on, she had a long uh, mantle or a robe, and a lot of people, one of the big questions is, what exactly was wrong with her? that she was arrested. Again, goes back to the subjectivity of how these agents pick and pick on people and choose who to arrest. And uh, then eventually becomes this lethal violence and, and the death of this young
0: woman. Let me just remind our listeners they are listening to True Talk, and I'm talking to Nigar Mortazavi, and she is uh, of Iranian descent, of course. She is a journalist, commentator, and host of Iran Podcast. Can you, uh, Nigar, tell us who is Mahasa Amini? What happened to her? Um,
4: so Mahasa Amini, we don't know much about her, but she just seemed like a normal girl, 22-year-old, Kurdish, originally from the Kurdish region in the western um, part of Iran from a small town. She was visiting Tehran with her family. Apparently, she was riding the metro, and she gets off the metro, and that's where the morality police stops her, somewhere in in central downtown Tehran, and they arrest her and take her to the station. Um, And the police is trying to say that they... They had no role in her death, or that she suddenly collapsed or ha- had a heart attack, but her family is saying she was healthy. She was a young woman, 22-year-old, had no underlying um, health issues and was um, essentially beaten or subjected to violence in police custody. But I think what's important is that regardless of what exactly led to that moment of her death, she died in police custody. And even according to Iranian law, they were responsible for her life and her health and well-being, and um, and they're, they're responsible for her death. So there's currently investigations happening in Iran by the government, but also the people don't necessarily trust those investigations. They say in the past... These investigations haven't been transparent. They haven't been accurate. They haven't been truthful. So um, it's it's part of what's angering people: the response of the state and this lack of transparency and and responsibility uh, for the death of this young woman.
0: What happened to her kind of remind me of the um, killing of Nida. Agha Sultan I think she was also an uh, Iranian and I think it happened in the t- 2009 and people thought at this time uh, that you know the thing the people went to the seat and demonstrated and things will happen but and people are looking at what is happening in Iran and some people depending on on which camp they are on whose camp they are uh, they are saying oh wow we are seeing maybe the end of the islamic uh, revolution and the end of uh, this regime and some people are saying no uh, too much uh, media hype about it what do you th- what do you, what is your assessment nigar as somebody who studies iran and is part of there what do you think is happening at the moment in Iran.
4: Well, you're right to compare this to Nadar Sosan, who was killed on this. She was shot dead uh, in 2009 during the protest, and uh, it, it essentially became an icon or a symbol for for the resistance back then. This time around, I think it's even more iconic because this is a women's rights issue. This is women asking for a basic right, for their dignity, for being treated um, like equal citizens, and women are at the forefront of these protests. And the icon or the symbol of the protest is also a young woman, and um, a lot. A lot of the slogans are also centered around her name, saying Mahsa or Gina, uh, her original Kurdish name actually is Gina. So, uh, calling her in slogans, saying that you're not dead, you're you haven't ended, and you've just opened the door and the beginning of a path. And it's really. Uh, I would want to call it a feminist or a women's revolution. It's really a feminist revolution, women standing up on the street, risking their lives, um, essentially subjecting themselves to becoming the next Nedo or the next Gina or Massa. And it's very brave. It takes a lot of courage. Um, these are women in their 20s and their 30s. And it's also, I want to mention that this is building up on other grievances. So, yes, mm-hmm. the spark of this was a mandatory hijab and the um, death of Gina or Maslow, but it's building up on a lot of political grievances, economic grievances, social, cultural. There's a lot of pressure on Iranian civil society, artists, filmmakers. And there have been protests again and again in the past few years, and the state, doesn't really address these grievances of young Iranians. They don't address the economic situation. They don't address political repression. They just make things worse. Um, there's also a lot of corruption in the state, mismanagement of resources. And so people are angry, and they just keep getting angrier and angrier and more frustrated and feel like they're not being hurt. That's why we're hearing a lot of radical slogans. Uh, targeting the entire political structure and leadership.
0: And there are, of course, men and young men also in the season. It's not only uh, Iranian women. Definitely, uh, definitely. So women,
4: like even myself, see themselves in Mahsa, and men see their own sisters or their mm -hmm. own daughters, their own cousins in Mahsa. A lot of people are just saying she was an ordinary girl, and this could have been any of us this could happen to any of us because the morality police doesn't discriminate. They go after anybody from all walks of life. They even go after religious women and men. So we are seeing this being led by women. We are seeing very brave and courageous images, but it's also very much supported by men, um, shoulder to shoulder, cheering them, supporting them, standing
0: next to them. One of the questions I uh, received, Negar, was why? what's the symbol of uh, women standing and cutting their hair? I think there was a very vivid image where a woman was trying to cut her hair and then uh, a young man jumps on the podium or wherever she was standing on and helped her cut her hair. So what's the symbol of that, if there is any?
4: Cutting uh, the hair in certain areas of Iran is a sign of grief. Women, um, mothers, wives, daughters, they cut their hair as a sign of grief. But now it's also turned, so it's a sign of grieving for Massa or Jina. It's also turned into a symbol of of protesting, of uh, essentially defying um, the state's uh, violence and uh, killing her uh, or her death. So it's, it's become a symbol of both this grief and also the defiance or the resistance together with taking off the hijab or burning the hijab. Because I, I want to explain how this burning of the hijab means because you have a lot of women over the years, who would take off their hijab when they're in public spaces, but then when they see the morality police, they would put it back on sometimes Mm -hmm. to not get in trouble with the police. But when you throw it in the fire, when you burn it, you can't retrieve it. So that's done. That's like a fed up moment, a symbol of I'm not wearing this even if the police shows up. And at this point, we're even seeing images of of women being indifferent indifferent to, to the police and to the forces without their hijab. And it's just really incredible. They're risking a lot, but it's also showing a lot of bravery
0: and courage. Uh, I want to mention something, uh, Nigar, I'm not sure if you agree with me or not, but even what the women are wearing is not hijab uh, in the classical um, hijab, you know, I'm sure you have seen people in Washington, D.C., Muslim American women wearing a hijab. It's not easy for the hair to come out of it uh, because they wear like a bonnet on top and then they, they, I mean, it's different layers. What the women are wearing mainly in Iran is just a scarf that can uh, fall very easily and hair can come out. So why the morality police are so happy that they are not really imprim- implementing an article of faith as much as just a symbolic or a picture. Is it because they feel that their grasp as an Islamic revolution on the country is uh, lessening with time? Because I don't feel that what the women are wearing are hijab to begin with.
4: Yes, it's first of all it comes to the subjectivity of the matter because it's rooted in a religious belief and obviously it comes in all shapes and forms depending on your local community depending on what country what culture even in the in the muslim world you know the muslim world stretches from north africa middle east all the way to south asia The dress code, even for women who believe in hijab and who observe it out of choice, is very different. Uh, A young woman in Cairo, Egypt, dresses very differently than a woman in Indonesia or in Turkey. There's all kinds of different interpretations, even for those who want to observe the hijab. And then there's the ones who don't want to observe the hijab. Some of them are not even Muslim. There's a non-Muslim community living in Iran. There's also Muslims who are not necessarily believers. They may be believers, but not believe in observing the hijab. Or there's some of them are not, are just not religious believers. There's a lot of visitors, tourists who visit Iran. They're not Muslim. They're not Iranian, but they're still being forced to do this. So the state, exactly as you said, is they feel like they're losing their grasp. On what they seem as a visible symbol of the essence of their power or what they call the Islamic Republic or the Islamic revolution, because it's something that's very visible in the public when you look at the images and but at the same time, women have been pushing back against this this visible public symbol. And for the past 40 years, really, women have slowly pushed back. If you look at images of Iran in the public in the 1980s and then compared to the 1990s -hmm. and compared to the 2000s and compared to today, you will see how generations of women have pushed back slowly but successfully against what the state considered proper attire for women in public. It used to be dark colors, solid colors, black, navy, brown very long back in the 1980s, but now it's become very colorful, tight, short. It's just because women have pushed back the Mm -hmm. limit and I think this is the final step that they're taking, essentially taking off that scarf and throwing in the fire, saying that I'm that up and I've had enough and we're not going back to that.
0: Finally, Nigar, do you see uh, something happening uh, more than just demonstrations, uh, something like the Arab Spring that took place, let's say, in Tunisia and Egypt, or uh, this is going to go away in a few days?
4: It's hard to say because the state has also used a lot of violence and repression against the protesters in the past. In 2009, we saw massive protests. Millions of people took to the streets, and they stayed on the streets for up to a year, but the state used a lot of violence against the protesters. Again, in 2019, we saw massive protests, nationwide protests, and there was a lot of uh, violence, state violence against the protesters. Hundreds were killed, thousands were arrested, very harsh sentences, prison, torture. So it's the protests are growing and they're massive and they're widespread and nationwide and the people are very brave but the state also uses a lot of violence and we're now hearing reports of internet uh, blocking of social media blocking um and and limiting access between the protesters and between the protesters and the outside world and i'm just worried that this is going it's, it's already been violent there have been reports of of a number of protesters being killed, um, six I again, think the
0: reports are confirmed, and six maybe uh, at least now up to now. Or I, maybe. I, I heard actually more than that. Yeah. This morning I saw I saw reports of, of more
4: than that, and um, I'm it, I'm just worried that there will be even more repression and essentially an iron fist to to crack down on the protest. So we have to wait and see, but okay. I think this could also be a turning point or a wake-up call mm-hmm. to, to the authorities and to those who have been pushing for this violent practice against women to change course and essentially abolish the morality police as many Iranians are asking for
0: it. I want to thank you very much, Nigar Mortazavi, for being on True Talk. Very nice of you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Nizar. This was uh, Nizar Mortazavi, and she's a journalist and commentator based in Washington, D.C. She's the host of Iran Podcast, and you are listening in the background to this amazing music uh, by uh, Mohsen Yagni. He is Iranian. When we come back, I'm going to take your phone call, Jackie, because you have been waiting for 23 minutes, so stay on the line. Uh, I'm going to take your phone call. Uh, I'll take a very short break. This is true
3: talk. Joy
0: Welcome back to True Talk. Uh, this is your host, Samah al My co-host, Ahmed, was with me at the beginning of the show. And then we were talking, uh, at that time, we were talking about uh, immigration and about asylum seekers. And we got several phone calls and emails. And Jackie has been waiting for 23 minutes. <laughs> So, Jackie, I had to, uh, like, end the conversation very quickly with Nigar. I had one more question, but I thought you can't be waiting for 22 minutes and not let you have your say. So, go ahead. Thank you so much, Tamar. And, and I I wanted to, uh, I have two comments I wanted to make, but I
5: also wanted to say I had the pleasure of meeting you, uh, I don't know how many years ago, when you were here in Sarasota. And oh uh, it was all about uh, the women in black for reporting the women in Afghanistan, and uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. So, but what I want to say is that young woman, uh, there. Um, the reporting I heard is that said that there were bystanders who took video of her being severely bit beaten. She didn't just fall into a coma, you know, it just didn't happen for no reason. <clears throat> so that was my comment about that, but also... In reference to that call from Mike, um, uh, he's someone also I know personally from down here, Mm -hmm. and I heard his call when he called, and I think it was yesterday, he had the exact same uh, rant going on, and there was a lawyer who was explaining how um, the fact that those immigrants were shipped to Martha's Vineyard would prevent them, because they have no money or resources, it would prevent them from being able to get back to Texas for their appointed, court dates as part of the asylum process. And that was part of DeSantis' plan. So that's what they're calling a deportation was those people assisting them to get to a military base where they had phones, they could get in touch with other people, and they were back on the mainland. They thought they were getting shipped to Boston. They didn't know they were getting shipped on a you know an, an island out in the
0: in the ocean. Actually, Jackie, now they have a lawsuit, uh, I think, uh, in the making they're going to have a lawsuit and I think there are investigations or lawyers trying to look into whether the governor violated any laws uh, when he did this uh, stunt but my gosh I am worried about the next election and what kind of platforms uh, these uh, men are planning uh, to run on because you know I always remember Trump and how he did the Muslim ban and you know we all these years Ahmed and I we keep saying on the show that there is a lot of Islamophobia here and people sometimes would say no it was only after September 11 but we moved on and then comes uh, Trump as a running candidate and all he can say and he says Islam hates us (laughs) as if Islam is a thing one thing that can hate America which did not exist during Islam time so I am afraid, Jackie, of what might be the platform. Maybe, for instance, they're not going to be just about shutting the borders or maybe just checking us, the new immigrants, although I have been here for 32 years, I can't call myself new or young, but maybe checking our loyalty and have some kind of a loyalty card where I cannot criticize foreign policy or the White House or whoever is in in power. God knows what's going to happen in two years or three years, is it?
5: Well, they—they they, uh, corporations have some kind of a loyalty oath going on now, where people are not allowed. They—they they have to say that they will not join the uh, boycott against um, Israel.
0: Yes, Jackie, that's another topic to talk about. But we're running out of time. I want to thank you for your patience and for staying for more than th- twenty-three minutes. <laughs> uh, you love through talk, so support through talk and WMNF. Thank you so I much, do. Jackie.
5: I do love true talk. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thank, so you. Much. Thank you. And I have to apologize for other callers who are just calling now because I think uh, we only have something like forty seconds. Ahmed and I will be um, fundraising very soon. WMNF will be fundraising very soon. Uh, So please uh, show your support and show your love for the music or show your love for these amazing shows. I myself was listening yesterday and learned something. WMNF Tampa, NPR News is next.